Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Laura McGoodwin with teammate Aliyah Kamalova. Welcome to The Females, a podcast from Career Contessa that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice for women so you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. On today's episode, we're discussing how leaders can support their Black employees navigating racial injustice with our guest expert, Desiree Booker. She is the CEO and founder of Color Vision Lab. We'll be going over two things. One, why it is important that leaders take actionable steps to support their Black employees. And two, four tips leaders should take to support their Black employees. Plus, stick around for Dear Career Contessa, our listener advice segment, where we answer your career questions, starting with, do you have any advice on starting a blog aimed at graduates? And now this is The Females. Well, hi, Desiree. Welcome to The Females. Hi, Lauren. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to get started. Well, let's start by having you introduce yourself. Can you give us a brief introduction? Because I know you've done a lot of amazing things, but also mention and kind of explain to everybody what Color Vision Lab is and what you guys do. My name is Desiree Booker. I'm the founder and CEO of Color Vision Lab, where we primarily focus on empowering people of color to be successful in the workplace through career coaching. And we also work with organizations to help them develop effective strategies to attract and recruit diverse talent. It's amazing. And I love that career coaching is part of your services. I've always been a believer in career coaching. I feel like some people, you know, at least when a lot of people think of career coaching, it's like, oh, like executives only get that. But I mean, you're probably on the <laughs> on the same bandwagon as me, which is that everybody should get career coaching at any point in any stage of their career. Exactly. Now, I totally agree. And, you know, I think that what really inspired both having the, the B2B and B2C sides is that the work is really two parts. You know, we can develop leaders and we can give them the skills to navigate these spaces as a person of color. But how do we get into the organizations and help them to create an inclusive work environment where our clients feel safe and feel like they have the professional and personal resources to grow and flourish? That's true. Plus, you get like an insider knowledge. You know what's going on with the companies. And that'll just like help your individual mentees be like, hey, this is what we found out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Let's talk about why it is crucial that leaders take actionable steps to support their Black employees navigating racial injustice. 
Yeah. So, you know, I've been having a lot of conversations about this um, amidst the, the recent civil unrest. And right now, Black employees and just Black America is fed up and really just demanding change. I think that right now, employees have a lot of leverage and have a lot of power when it comes to, you know, to drive change at their respective organizations. We've even seen employees writing open letters to leadership, staging walkouts and things like that. What we've seen over the past couple of weeks in the workplace with Black employees is really a culmination of generations of rage and fury and trauma. And it really just kind of boiled up into, you know, just the tip of the iceberg and people are just no longer, you know, accepting this anti-Black racist system that we live in. So I think it's really important that companies recognize that racism is not only a huge issue in this country, but it exists in many of the constructs in our country, especially in the workplace, and really understand like what state of mind your Black employees are in right now. Okay, so they need to know that they're physically, emotionally, and psychologically safe in your workplace. They need to know that you have their back. Put yourself in their shoes. Like over the past couple of weeks, we have been exposed to obscene, very brutal images of police brutality and murder and all these things that it would be traumatic to any person. And then you're expected to just show up on Monday morning with your happy face on and deliver on, you know, what you're supposed to be doing in the workplace. So, you know, with that, I think that for companies, your next move is going to be very crucial and it should be timely. I expect that if there isn't a swift response to this, you know, with regard to addressing uh, systemic racism in the workplace, specifically with your organization, I believe that we could see a ripple effect of consequences with employee engagement, employee retention, financial performance, as well as your public image in, in terms of how you're positioned in to people of color, you know, in the marketplace. Yeah. Sometimes I get frustrated that we have to mention like, oh, by the way, if you you know, don't, you know, treat your employees like they're humans, you know, come to work with emotions and feelings and thoughts, it'll affect your bottom line. And that's, you know, at a minimum, (laughs) would you care if it affected your bottom? You know, does that ever frustrate you too, where you're like, well, you have to pull it back to some sort of business case versus a human case sometimes? I feel like at least in this work, and a lot of people talk about this, how like companies, you know, will say this, but they don't make the budget for it or the budgets are like unreasonably tiny. So then they can't invest in stuff like this. And I feel like anybody who's doing this work, whether it's, as you said, B2B or with consumers, it's it's not necessarily consumers. It's the business side that it can be frustrating because you're like, you know, you can't just say this stuff and then also not invest in it or have your leaders or your company align with it. No, yeah, I totally agree. And honestly, like, I feel like companies hire people like me and other DNI consultants to come in and and turn things around overnight. And they say they want change, but you know, the the strategies that a lot of consultants propose are not new. You know, the challenge yeah. is really in getting the company to actually adopt these strategies and implement them and put resources behind them. And I think you know that really stems from not having representation at the top ranks. You know, people of color are being stuck, uh, you know, in in middle management and below positions and have very limited access to opportunity and decision-making power. And the people that we have in these positions of power, a lot of them are really just out of touch with what's going on outside of their immediate bubble. It is frustrating to have to make a business case on, you know, why your diverse employees should be treated fairly, why they should feel like, you know, they're equally welcome into your workplace and have the same equitable access to opportunity. Um, It should just be a no brainer. Yeah. And it feels like we often see like the employee level doing the work of it because the leaders kind of are just like separated from 
that ground floor of it all, like, and just kind of like expect that news to somehow float up to them. And then once it does, then I will address it. Like I was just talking to Lauren the other day, a friend of mine is trying to start these discussions and she's like the youngest person in the company. She's in engineering totally without her, like any human resource, any sort of field, definitely not her area of study or expertise, but she realized like, this is an important conversation we need to have. It's a very big company. And basically all they did was just forward her email to the president of like this massive company. And she's like, well, I, you know, I'm glad we're addressing issues, but we need like a full support on this, not just, oh, it happens to be (laughs) the newest employee had this um, idea. And I think it's up to her to figure out, you know, how to solve why our whole company is like predominantly male and white. And so now it's like falling on her. So I think that's like, especially important for leaders to actually lead their company in setting the precedent of like how we're going to address these issues. I think what's really, you know, even more frustrating about that is that a lot of companies rely on their black employees to to be like DNI consultants simultaneously. It's almost like they're really leaning on their employee resource groups to drive these efforts. And nine times out of 10, the leaders of those groups are not being compensated more for those DNI activities. And this is not their problem. Like, you know, th- this is not their issue. They did not create this problem. So it's just very unfair to put the expectation on them that because you're black or you're brown and you work here, you know, you're supposed to give us, the, you know, the, the holy grail in terms of how we, we fix this thing. And, you know, one, strategy is not going to fix all of your DNI problems. That's another thing. So it, it always goes back to resources. I personally experienced that when I was in the workplace. And it took me, it took me to leave corporate and really develop my knowledge and expertise in this space to see that, you know, in some ways I was being taken advantage of, but I was so passionate about it. And so, so much about like, you know, I want to drive change. I want to fight the power. Like, let's do it. Like, rah-rah kind of attitude. And I was like, man, I was actually, I found out I was underpaid in the workplace. I wasn't even paid competitively. (laughs) So it was just, it was, it's crazy to think about and so many other people in the same position. What challenges do you see Black leaders and and non-Black leaders go through when they're trying to provide support for their Black employees? I mean, are they, I mean, because I know that this is, I mean, it's not like every single leader, especially a Black leader out there, hasn't been trying to create support. As you said, this is a separate time. I feel like they are are being embraced differently today than they were, you know, even three or four months ago, six months ago, but this isn't new, but I'm just curious, what challenges do you see when you're working with clients? What are their, the challenges they're coming up most often? I've been seeing that there's actually been the leadership team isn't on one accord. So you'll have like the heads of TA and, you know, people who are leading HR functions and, you know, their direct reports are butting heads because there's racial tension amongst those teams. And if they're not on one accord and are able to develop a plan as to how they're going to roll out some type of training or some type of strategy for their own teams, then it really just becomes a big cloud of what are we doing. And so I'm finding that the leadership teams are just not in lockstep or agreeance on what they should be doing. But also they're assuming that they know what's best in terms of how to fix this. um, When really the first step is to ask, you know, ask your black employees what they need, 
what's going on. Like give them your listening ear and give them a promise that look like this isn't just going to fall on deaf ears. We're going to actually develop a strategy and execute on this. But the first step is listening, you know, and, and you will, you will learn a lot from them. If you just provide a safe space for them to speak, that safe space may not be an open forum. I've seen some companies do like town halls and things like that. That may not be the right form. It may be, it depends on your company culture. So like, you know, some companies have a more liberal culture where like, it's a thing to just like have leadership kind of be on the chopping block a little bit and just open themselves up for these really harsh questions and people will ask them. And then sometimes you may need to hire an external consultant to come in and facilitate this dialogue and collect data. You know, I think those are the two key things is, you know, there's a lot of disagreement happening at the top ranks, which is really kind of keeping things stuck when it comes to pushing out a strategy for the teams and then also just not knowing what to do because you're not asking. I want to take a quick break to tell you about Hydrant. Hydrant is a wellness and water win-win. Did you know that proper hydration can bring mental clarity, mental and physical performance improvements, and it can positively influence long-term health? Yet about 75% of Americans spend their days dehydrated. Dehydration means that you're suffering from probably frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. Dehydration is also one of the reasons why you might feel sluggish. So it's actually not about adding more caffeine to your morning routine. Your body and brain want hydration. Introducing Hydrant. Launched in 2018, their team identified a need to develop a product that rapidly and effectively hydrates consumers. Hydrant are flavored electrolyte packets, and P.S. they're delicious and refreshing, I've tried them, that you mix directly into your water to efficiently and effectively hydrate your body. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. That's sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. This precise blend of electrolytes found in their mix helps your body hydrate quickly and then stay hydrated all day. For me, I found that adding hydrant to my daily routine really helps because I suffer from frequent headaches and migraines. And staying hydrated is not only important, but hydrant makes it also easier and tastes great. Helps me you know, keep the headaches away and feel good. So I see that as a total win-win. And hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by an Oxford scientist to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors, stevia, or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. And here's some really good news. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. Bonus, you'll save more when you sign up for a monthly subscription as well. And for 25% off your first order, go to Drink hydrant.com backslash females. And then you'll enter the promo code females at checkout. So again, that's drink hydrant, one word.com backslash females. And then you can enter the promo code females, F-E-M-A-I-L-S at checkout for 25% off your first order. Drink hydrant.com backslash females and enter promo code females. All right, now let's get back to the show. And then the key part here is like when you are going to ask and listen, 
there's a lot of varieties of ways to do that. And not everybody's going to feel comfortable sharing openly. I had a friend, she's black, and she was telling me that she was on a Zoom and they were like, how's everyone doing? She's like, I'm the only black person on my team. And they're clearly all looking at me and I'm on, you know, she's like not a person who would want the spotlight on her no matter what she, but it was like so deeply uncomfortable. And it's like, that makes you feel better, not her. That's the way you want to listen, but that's not the way she wants to share. And she was sharing that basically it was very frustrating because people say they want to listen. But then if you don't speak up on the stuff, then they come back to you later and they're like, well, we asked you and you never spoke up. Yeah. So I think that's a really important point for leaders who are listening to this too. Like before you just open ended question situation or town hall, like maybe even do like a quick survey, how people prefer to share the information. So I I think that's really, really key. Exactly. I think also like (laughs) following through is so important here, even if you're not going to implement like, everything you heard immediately. But like, if nothing happens, like that's even worse. I feel like hosting or putting the time to create like a quote unquote safe space or this forum or whatever it is in your company. And then to be like, okay, we heard it. Look at this beautiful thing we did. And then if your employees don't see anything, it's like, that's even, that's like, worse. You lose hope even more. It's horrible. Yeah. So I think it's really important to just like, actually like maybe at the end of those discussions, be like, okay, where are we going to go from here? Like, what are the next actionable steps we need to take to like actually make these things come to fruition. I remember like a couple months ago, we mentioned this and this upset us and they heard it and also didn't do anything about it. So it's like not even an excuse of like, we didn't know. It's like, no, I did. I I was just Mm going to say, I feel like what employers ask of their employees to do to be like, get promoted or whatever, you know, follow through, take initiative. It's like, yeah, we need to see that from you also. So I kind of like that. And I also just feel like one thing we know that does not work for human behavior is uncertainty. And that I would say among all issues in the workplace, I feel like that happens all the time. Desiree, I'm sure you come across this all the time, but on both sides, clients and companies where it's like, you know, my boss said I was going to get a promotion four months ago, never mentioned again. Um, they said they were going to address racial injustice and we were going to have these plans put in place and they never said anything again. So I would say also like baby steps are fine, but zero steps or, you know, lack of communication is just so not okay. It's definitely not. not I totally agree. And I, it almost feels like some companies are they're afraid to go digging because they're not sure what they're going to find. And it's almost like, you know, when you start to dig and you, and you see the data that really supports, you know, the the issues or negates the issues, whatever it is in the workplace, you kind of open yourself up to a lot of risk. And I actually was at a conference yesterday, a power to fly conference, and was listening to some uh, data experts talk about this and, and how companies are so reluctant to give over their data, especially when it comes to diversity and inclusion in the workplace, because they think like, what is this going to mean for us from a legal perspective? And by not digging, they can say, oh, well, we never knew. It's just not going to fly anymore. It's interesting you say that because we have company profiles on Career Contessa and one of the things we offer is for you to share your diversity number, you know, what percentage of your company is women and women in tech. And then we also ask for ethnicity. How many of your employees are black? So many of them do not want to give that information. And they always tell us we're not allowed to. It's our legal department won't allow us. So I find that really interesting that you said that because I've come up against it a lot just with that. And it was like one of the whole reasons why we wanted to have the company profiles was to provide more transparency in that way. So I've had the same experience just on our end. And it's like, 
all right, we're trying to do this for this reason, but if you're not going to share the information, like again, we're at a standstill. You know what I mean? Right. And then on the flip side, the companies who are doing the work and they have publicly said, you know, we are committed, like they have made a public commitment to diversifying their workforce by X percent. And, you know, people are following that. Like by the end of this year, where are you? Those are the companies that are really like, you know, super open and transparent. So it really just seems deceptive when we don't get that information almost. Up next, Ray, you'll share your four tips for leaders on how to support their Black employees navigating racial injustice. So now that we've talked about the importance of leaders supporting their Black employees, let's discuss what leaders can actually do. Desiree, what would be your first tip for leaders when it comes to providing that support? Yeah, my first tip would be to educate your leadership and employees on exactly what anti-Blackness and systemic racism is and exactly how that manifests. Because you would be surprised how many people have no clue what either of those words mean. So when we talk about systemic racism, you know, essentially that's the existence of disparities and racism that is present in many of the constructs and systems in this country. It's present in our workplaces when we see, you know, people getting passed over for promotions for reasons that are very ambiguous. We see um, the racial pay gap in the workplace. Uh, It's super prevalent in our criminal justice system where Black significantly more likely to be uh, accused, uh, arrested, convicted of a crime and serve, you know, much longer sentences than our white counterparts. You know, we see it in our educational systems when, you know, over during COVID-19, there were some students specifically at HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, who didn't even have access to stable Wi-Fi connections. Some of them didn't even have laptops to be able to perform their work while we were in a global pandemic. So these are the disparities and and things that exist in, in, in the world that Black people have had to deal with for a really long time. So First, educate yourself on what that anti-Blackness looks like. I think another issue is that, you know, there are many leaders, and we kind of talked about this, there are many leaders that just don't really care about dismantling anti-Blackness because racism simply doesn't affect them. And it really just goes back to that lack of representation. Think about, you know, some of your employees who have children, you know, every time their their 17-year-old son or their husband walks out of the door, you know, genuine fear is, you know, is he going to get stopped by the police? You know, is he going to be harassed or potentially maybe not make it home because he's killed, you know, at at the hands of police brutality? It sounds very extreme, but that is literally what's happening in in, in society right now. And if you don't have those same concerns for your children or your significant other or whoever else in your family, I would highly encourage you to to step outside of that box and put yourself in their shoes and, and make this important because this is important to your employees. It's literally Um, affecting their livelihood. This is not just a professional thing. It's a personal thing. I think we also need to look at and understand how damaging it is to falsely accuse Black people of things, you know, that they did not do or overexerting your privilege and using it for evil. You know, this is something that's super common. We've, we've seen it recently. There was a white woman in, in uh, Central Park in New York and she called the police on a Black male that was just in the park. There was no reason why she should have been so upset and called the police on this man. And it was just an example of how many white women really have this sense of entitlement. It's costing people their lives. It's costing them their freedom. And And um, it's just not fair. So 
Um, even in my own personal experience, when I first started working in corporate, I was I worked for some really prestigious media companies early in my career. And in one role, I had an intern reporting to me and she was a, a young white female. And at the time, you know, to my knowledge, I thought we had a really great working relationship. She was always asking me for projects and, and all these things. And I, everything was fine, in my opinion. And then just one day out of nowhere, I got called into my manager's office and she told me that she received feedback from this intern that she felt very uncomfortable around me, um, that she felt like I was pushing my work off on her and getting her to do my work for me and all these things. And I was just completely blindsided and almost had to take a step back and think, well, did I do something wrong? Like, is this me? It started to have me question my own abilities and my own character. But, you know, I was just trying to give her some exposure, you know, but that was very damaging to my career and ultimately led to, you know, some not so great things in my, in my role at that company that reminded me of that, that Karen term that that's been coined, you know, and I'm just like, wow, she was a Karen and those things are just super dangerous. So I think that education is really the first step because once you really understand what systemic racism is, what anti-blackness is, then we can start to dismantle it in our everyday lives. That's an incredible story. I I think there's a lot of education also going on around about like what is white privilege. And there are people who think it's about like, well, I had a tough life too. And it's like, no, we need to start with a basic understanding. And if you are, you know, a white heterosexual man versus a white, you know, gay man, you have more privilege. We had a whole episode about power and privilege at work. And that's everybody should listen to that episode. It's a incredibly educational as well. Um, I want to talk about your second tip, which is to ask your black employees what they need from you and to actually listen. So I know you talked about that a little bit, but maybe you can elaborate and maybe you have even some examples of this maybe going well. First piece is, yeah. So being vulnerable and open to the feedback is super important, but having a zero tolerance policy for retaliation of any kind is a lit- is crucial. Um, and it's because people are afraid to speak up. And they should, black people should be afraid to speak up in the workplace because there have been many instances of retaliation, whether that means like, you know, at some point you end up getting fired or you don't receive any, you know, access to opportunities because you were the person who raised your hand. And this is also an example of how like white people can use their privilege to dismantle anti-blackness. It's very uncomfortable for a black person to raise their hand and say, I've been discriminated against, you know, I've been subjected. I've been microaggressed. I've been subjected to racism. But if you see that happening and you call it out and say, oh, well, that's not cool. Or I saw this and, you know, this is what's happening. It makes for a much powerful argument because uh, black people, when they raise their hand about these things, it's almost like, oh, well, here we go again, you know, the black person. And and it's almost like, well, why do I want to say anything? Want to reach out to employees, but, you know, don't necessarily expect them to help you make sense of your grief. Um, I see that quite a bit. You know, white people will address black employees in, in the workplace and talk about, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. And I'm so upset. And this, you know, it's, it, it's not your time to do that. You know, reach out, follow their lead and just give them some space because essentially this is a time of healing and kind of of getting to a place of being more mentally well and emotionally okay for Black employees. Um, I also could suggest potentially, you know, giving paid time off, maybe giving a stipend for Black employees to, you know, see their therapist of choice, but essentially don't force them to talk about how they're feeling in a public forum. I have, honestly, I haven't, 
I can't say that I've heard of any situations, specific instances uh, as of late where, you know, black employees were like, you know, man, this was like a, a great way for my company to solicit feedback. It's almost been kind of in the middle. But what I will say I've heard has um, been pretty effective is that managers who have already developed rapport with their Black employees who report directly to them, reaching out privately, not saying that they understand how they're feeling, just letting them know, like, whatever, however way I can support you, just let me know. But, you know, really just taking that time out to address them privately and not putting them on the spot has um, gone a long way. I've heard that feedback from my clients and a couple of other people who um, have an ear in the in the workplace. Acknowledgement goes so far. You know, just acknowledging that this is happening. I'm shocked at the amount of people who have shared with us in, in DMs and other places that their companies have not said a single thing. Their managers have not said a, a single thing. It's truly shocking like that that's human behavior. <laughs> Again, like going back to almost like that follow through point that we were making earlier. It's like some people say they're here and they listen. And then whenever like a black employee begins to speak, it's like, oh, well, that's not bad or something like that. Or like immediately it's like, what personal anecdote can I share? Or like even see that with like, like I'm a woman of color too. And like, obviously not black, but even that there's like something there where it's like, no, this is a unique experience, especially like within the US. Maybe I've seen just maybe on like social media or whatever, this trend of people like, yeah, well, you know, I'm a person of color too. And like, this is a very unique experience and it's a time for like everyone to listen in a way that's like actually thoughtful. I think what's helpful is if a black employee or your coworker says something that you're like, makes me feel a certain way. It's just, that's a time for self-reflection. Be like, why, why was that my first, you know, uh, response to what they just told me? They're like sharing something about how they're feeling. It's like, ask yourself, like, why, why do I feel the need to be defensive in some sort of way? Or like immediately try to make it like, oh, we're all in this, you know, feeling the same thing, because I think that is going to be a source of a lot of like internal growth, especially if you're like in a management or leader position. That's really crucial to really listen and interpret like your own responses. Like, why am I jumping to this point? If you don't take action and you see things going on that you know are just not right and or your company has been quiet, you know, you really need to ask yourself why. Like, you know, why is that your position? You know, why do you, it's almost like it, I mean, at this point, I feel like not taking a side really almost puts you on the wrong side of the conversation. And so and this goes for companies that have not said anything. I have personally cut ties with two organizations that I was doing consulting work for um, because I've received multiple newsletters, seen multiple social media posts, it, uh, multiple conversations have transpired. There has been no conversation about, you know, your support of the black community during this time. I'm a black woman. I serve black people like this is my business. This is my brand. I had to take a stand and say, you know, I can't allow anyone to use me as a pawn. Um, if they don't support me or people who look like me. So, you know, your, your message is loud and clear, whether you decide to speak out or you don't. So your third tip is to develop and execute a plan to remedy racial inequities in your organization, 
with a sense of urgency. I mean, in a nutshell, you have to commit to being an anti-racist organization. Like you have to commit to it. And right now, a lot of companies are requesting unconscious bias training and, and things like that. This is not the time for unconscious bias training. Like you need trainings that are specifically, uh, you know, centered on anti-blackness racism or anti-black racism rooted in white supremacy. Like, you know, Michelle Kim from um, Awakening or Awakened, she's a really great DNI facilitator. Um, Janice Gasm, who's a, a, a DNI writer for Forbes, she's a black owned business owner and she has her own workshops and trainings around race. But this is not a time to just blanket this with unconscious bias. Um, we really need to get to the root of specific like systemic racism rooted in white supremacy. So that's one thing. Biggest thing here is leveraging data to assess how you're hiring, promoting, and paying Black employees at your organization. So this, um, you know, the civil unrest that's been happening has really, really focused the spotlight on a lot of the inequities that we see in corporate America, specifically with people of color, Black people, and, you know, more importantly, or not more importantly, but, you know, more specifically, women of color, like Black women, it's just, it, the margins are insane. So, you know, can we start there? Can we assess, like, you know, how you're recruiting? But, like, once you recruit us, are you giving us, you know, the, the sponsorship, the access to opportunity, the development? Like, you know, are you giving us all those soft skills that we need to really move up and have some influence and, and have a have some leadership at the organization, which is super important. So we need to put more Black employees on your boards, um, in your C-suite, senior leadership roles. Um, and again, please just stop turning your Black employees into, you know, DNI consultants. That is like a huge piece of feedback that I get from my clients who are really just trying to drive change, but, you know, are starting to feel a little bit burnt out by it. The workshop that I mentioned before, the Power to Fly Summit that I'm in right now, another great point that I heard from uh, the talk about diversity and inclusion, um, specifically leveraging data in that space, uh, they mentioned this idea of proportionality, which is essentially when you're hiring and promoting, you're making sure that each level up is as diverse as the level below. And it really helps to make your DNI strategy a lot more intentional. And it gives you a sense of accountability. I really think that there needs to be like, a, a, you know, a conversation about what's next, like what's the short term and long term plan? And how are we going to push this communication out to our employees and set the tone for, you know, what's to come and what we'll, we'll no longer tolerate in the workplace? I really like the proportionality piece of this because I agree there's also this phrase called the frozen middle where once you get to the middle how do you ever get out of it and you know there's a lot of also like stats and research out there about you know how women start their careers just as as ambitious as men but they get stuck and it's like you know I'm guilty of this too a career contest of being very focused on the men versus women statistics but we need these statistics to be way more encompassing too and I think that going back to your first point about education like educating yourself on those statistics for women in general too especially women I think because there's even more discrepancies between you know black women Asian women white women well we ended up not hosting it or having it go live because of coronavirus but we we were going to do an equal payday episode. It took us actually a little while to understand like that average woman for the equal pay 
she's not a real person. She's just like a mathematical construct based on these averages. And it's, you know, I just, I feel like things like that are actually, there needs to be more specifics around that versus just kind of like the average woman. It's like, well, can she doesn't actually exist because she doesn't deal with racism and discrimination at work. There is also a piece of this that from a language perspective that also needs to be changed as well. Exactly. Yeah. And I think another interesting concept that I think is super relevant to this topic is um, when we look at performance reviews and how bias comes up in those, you know, uh, you know, there were conversations yesterday about how we're a little bit more humble and just reserved and just afraid of being a little bit too high powered or aggressive or whatever word people want to slap on us in the workplace. And that shows up in how we rate ourselves in our performance evaluations in comparison to men. And then when you start to look at women of color, it goes even lower. And, you know, that feeds into implicit biases when it comes to how your manager views you. So if you're teeing up all these negative things about yourself and and not really highlighting your achievements and accomplishments, which you should be doing, then it kind of plants this uh, this seed in someone else's brain um, or your manager's brain, which is, you know, unconscious bias, uh, where, you know, they may view you as a little bit less than Michael, who feels like they're just the, the best thing since sliced bread. So, you know, I think how we view ourselves and how we talk about ourselves in the workplace is really contributing to this this problem of systemic racism as well. So your fourth and final tip is to teach your white employees how to be effective allies and equip them with the tools to dismantle anti-Blackness in the workplace and in their personal lives. So I, I have a feeling that a lot of people listening to this are looking for also like very specific tips. First thing you want to do is really check yourself and and check, uh, you know, any of your white friends, colleagues, family members on their performative allyship, which has been happening quite a bit over the past couple of weeks. And what this looks like is, you know, just simply throwing up a social media post or putting up the Black Lives Matter, you know, just to say, oh, you know, I'm doing it like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm being a good, you know, white. I'm not racist. Look, I put up a black (laughs) square. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm off the chopping block and, and that's not enough. You know, you can absolutely be driving change and, you know, no one really knows about it, but you have to understand what that really looks like to drive change. So when we look at, you know, continuously dismantling anti-Blackness, that looks like modeling anti-racism to your friends, colleagues, and family members. And when you see it happening, address it to be very transparent about this. Like, you could potentially lose friendships. You could potentially lose relationships. There may be some type of adverse effect on how you're viewed in the workplace. It comes with sacrifice, you know, but you have to be ready to ride. Like that's just, that's, and this is me kind of a little bit of slang, but you have to be ready to really ride for the black community when it comes to fighting for equality, because some people are not going to necessarily agree with your stance and that's okay, you know, but that's a choice that you have to make for yourself. You can create a space for black voices to speak and be heard. You know, so if you hear someone, a black employee being overtalked in a meeting or, you know, maybe somebody, a white person bringing up an idea that a black person just mentioned five minutes earlier and just kind of dressing it up like it's their idea, completely dismissing the fact that the black employee said it, you can address those things in real time and create a space for for us to speak and be heard. And it's important to not speak for them, but create the space for them to speak for themselves. You can advocate for black employees to get on critical assignments and professional opportunities that are really pertinent to advancement. This might mean, you know, if you have an opportunity to select someone to to be on a project, to work with, um, elevate a Black employee who's been doing really well. And in some cases, this could mean even 
you know, passing the opportunity on to a black employee and kind of taking a step back. But again, you know, that that's your choice. Really opening up your your network to black people is very powerful as well. I just created a random post on LinkedIn, hiring managers and recruiters of different companies following me. And I have a large following of black professionals. And I was like, hey, you know, why not try to connect them on this thread? So I created a post and called on my network to, you know, put on the post. If you're open to one, a LinkedIn connection, two, a informational interview, or three, bartering services. They just put one, two, or three. Literally, there were over 200 people who spoke up and from, from LinkedIn, from MSNBC, CNN, from NBC Universal, all these amazing companies literally raised their hand and said, I'm willing to open myself myself up and my network up to you. And I got an outpour of LinkedIn DMs and messages and feedback from my clients that I work with every week saying, I'm so glad you did that. I now have three uh, interviews lined up. I have so many informational interviews. That is how you really affect change. Like that is super powerful. And I think the final piece that I would mention is teaching your children to be anti-racist. Like let's stop this thing in its tracks and, and not let it continue to, you know, go from generation to generation. You know, hate is very much so a learned behavior. Uh, let's teach our children to love and respect people, you know, for, for who they are and for our differences and value those differences. The one I'm visualizing is just when you're at work and someone, a Black employee or Black coworker says something, you know, amplifying their voice, going and telling their boss, like, hey, I worked with Desiree on this project and she was great. I mean, I think people think those are just like really small little things, but like the small stuff adds up, you know, like amplifying someone's voice, telling someone, hey, I'm here to support you in any way, even if you're not their manager, as their coworker, like, look, I know I asked you to write that part of the report. I have it. You take the afternoon off. And I listened to this podcast with Brene Brown and Austin Channing. And she was talking about how like white people like to have rules. They want to have these like check boxes and rules that so they can feel like they're doing the right thing. And it's like, there isn't like a list of rules. This is consider what you can do and how you can use your power and privilege to help somebody else. And not, you know, Desiree can't be there with you 24 seven to be like, oh, you're in the meeting. Now's a good time to speak up and, and you know, amplify her voice or amplify his voice, you know? So I, I do think people need to invest in their own uh, education, read books. You know, there's been so many resources out there. It's like also do this and, and find your own ways of doing this too, because these are starter ideas, but everybody has a, a unique workplace, unique boss, manager, employee, like, you know, so it's like you guys also have to put on your critical thinking hats and just also think for yourselves and, and educate yourselves too, right? One of my managers, um, when I worked at Turner Broadcasting as a campus recruiter, one of my managers uh, I loved so much and she was a middle-aged white woman and we just had the best relationship. But um, I had a huge project that I decided to put together to really help to fuel our, our pipeline of entry-level diverse talent, specifically with the Atlanta University Center. So we're looking at Spelman College, Morehouse College, Clark Atlanta University, really building those relationships and, and, and engaging with those students. And it was something I was super passionate about because I'm a graduate of Spelman College. And at the time, I was just this very green, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed campus recruiter. And I was like, hey, like, I want to do this really big, like, three-day, like, um, kind of symposium-like event with these schools and had no clue how to plan budgets. I, I was so green. I just didn't know anything. And she completely trusted me and backed me and vouched for me, you know, all the entire way. Throughout that time, working on that project, I was able to 
pitch my idea directly to the CFO of the company and get buy-in, get funding from our employee, our black employee resource group. I was a liaison with the schools. And that one, that was like my white Bronco in my career. When that happened, that's when I knew I wanted to become a career coach. That's when I really ran with my entrepreneurial spirit and had this confidence in myself that became very much so unbreakable. Yeah. And I also want to mention like your LinkedIn post idea. Like, I think that is amazing. And like that, like is super easy to do, right? Like it took you just writing out a quick post and then that potentially could be a life-changing moment. Cause we talk a lot about informational interviews at Career Contessa and how like, those are the real, like networking, like opportunities for jobs, opportunities for guidance or mentorship. That's like direct and helpful. And I don't know, I personally found that like those like connections that you have with like professional, with your professional network, those are like, could be those career changing moments. So like, even if you do realize like that you have that network, for example, I think that's so like, I think that's an amazing idea to just like do a quick post and then potentially you're just starting conversations like with so many people. And that could be like a huge career opportunity. Desiree and I met and connected on LinkedIn. So there we go. (laughs) Yes. We're a living, walking example. All right. Well, let's recap. Desiree's four tips for leaders are number one, educate your leadership and employees on what anti-Blackness is and how it manifests. Number two, ask your Black employees what they need from you and then actually listen. Number three is develop and execute a plan to remedy racial inequalities in your organization with a sense of urgency. So you actually got to follow through everybody. Um, Number four is teach your white employees how to be effective allies and equip them with the tools to dismantle anti-blackness in the workplace and in their personal lives. Next up, we hear from you and solve your problems. Welcome to Dear Career Contessa, the part of the show where we answer your questions. Remember, if you have a career question, you can submit it to us via DM on at Career Contessa on Instagram, email us at info at careercontessa.com, or even leave us a voicemail at 844-FEMALES. All of that information is also included in the show notes. Today's question came to us via DM on Instagram and the person said, hi, I'm from England and I listen to your podcast episodes on my walk each day. Thank you. And I'm a law graduate finishing my master's this summer and I have student debt. I have a cash ISA and do not invest yet. I am keen to start a side hustle to document my journey and wondered if you had any advice on starting a blog aimed at graduates and what website host do you you use? I would be keen to advertise products and monetize my blog by reviews, et cetera. This is all new to me and I would appreciate any help you could give. Thank you. This is a new question. We don't usually get, I feel like business questions. So that's flattering. I think starting a side hustle that can make you some additional money and how you're going to monetize, like you're already doing all the right things because you're thinking about that. I would say just to answer some of the logistical questions about like what website hosts we use and stuff. So our site is custom built, which I don't know if I would do that again, but our site has all these like really unique pieces to it. But what we would recommend and what we've done, even like if you go to powermovesbook.com is we used Squarespace. So I think Squarespace is an awesome platform to help you build a website. And one of the reasons why is I feel like Squarespace has done a lot of the extra thinking for you when it comes to things that you're going to need, like building your email list, your analytics, your SEO. Um, Those are all things that maybe 
you don't have to focus on right this second, but you will at some point, you know, once, once the overwhelm of like, what's my business going to be, how's it going to make money? You are going to think about, you know, analytics, SEO, and, and, and they even have the ability, um, for people to shop directly from your website. So I would highly recommend Squarespace. And, um, just so everybody knows, Squarespace has been a long time partner of Career Contessa. So if you use code Contessa at checkout, you get 10% off. And I think also like Lauren, you mentioned, like, it's really great that you already have this idea of like, how am I going to monetize this and make it sustainable? But I think it's just really important to like, make sure your content starting out is really helpful. And I mean, you have personal experience with graduate school. So thinking about topics that you want to cover that are like, what would I have liked to hear her have heard whenever I was a graduate student starting out or like midway through or as I'm finishing my master's. So I think if you just think about like, what is the most helpful article I could write or blog post and start from there. And that'll give you like, I don't know, I feel like it's like motivating just yourself to just keep going if you're providing helpful advice. And then eventually you can start with the monetizing and things like that. But I think just as long as you have that foundation of like good content and like the infrastructure in place, like by using Squarespace or something to monetize it eventually, I think that's like the best to start out with. Yeah, because at the end of the day, to monetize a blog, you're going to need people reading it and people trusting you for your advice. So I would recommend pick a really specific topic. Don't feel like you have to write about everything. Don't feel like you have to be on every single platform. Like when I started Career Contessa, we actually only had the interview series. So when I started, it was a website that only hosted interviews with women in a variety of careers. And I only had the website. I slowly added, you know, social media channels and um, an email list. I mean, I, I would, that was the one mistake I made is I kind of was late to the email list game. Looking back, I wish I had done that earlier, but I think being really specific on one thing first, and I kind of, kind of honed in on that skill for the first year. And then the second year was when I started to expand into writing content that was more general career advice. And then it grows from there. So, you know, another tip I would have is while it's great to be inspired by other people's websites, like do your best to not looking at them and being like, why can't I have my site looking like that yet? You know, like pick a niche, make yourself a schedule. How often do you want to blog? Maybe it's twice a week, pick really good topics, make really thorough and helpful blog posts and start there. And then the monetization and all that will come and and you will learn a lot taking it almost back to the basics with that. Um, And then yes, obviously Squarespace. And then we'll link to some of the resources that Aliyah mentioned about side hustles and what you need to know when you're getting started because there is some like legal and like financial stuff that um, is helpful as well. So we'll put all of those in the show notes, but great question. Appreciate you trusting us with some business (laughs) advice. (laughs) We've graduated uh, Aliyah to like not just career advice, business advice. No, just kidding. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. We love hearing from you all. We read every single one. And just um, a friendly reminder that my book, Power Moves, How Women Can Pivot, Reboot, and Build a Career of Purpose is on sale now. You can find more information and check out the amazing Squarespace website that Leah made on uh, powermovesbook.com. And if you're interested in getting some more leadership training, check out our online course 
course, the New Manager Manual, where we walk you through how to develop and implement a 90-day new manager plan. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. Yes. And a big thank you to Desiree Booker for sharing her time and wisdom around navigating racial injustice in the workplace. You can learn more about Desiree and Color Visions Lab in the show notes as well. We've included a link to connect with her on LinkedIn and she has an awesome Instagram. So, you know, if you have a preference, you can follow her there as well and check out more information about Color Visions Lab. 